Welcome back to season six of Flop Stars, the podcast where we celebrate albums that are close to our hearts that may not have performed well on the charts. If you've been following this season, you'll know that earlier in the season, I had my chance to pick a record to bring to the podcast and I brought Lana Del Rey's Norman effing Rockwell. This week, it's unfortunately Nick's chance to bring a (laughs) album to the podcast and I'm going to throw it over to him to explain what he's done to me. So when you brought Lana to the table, I had never listened to that record and I was pleasantly surprised by the majority of it and thought it was bloated in other moments. And so I thought, let's do the exact same thing to you, a record that I am pretty sure, despite probably knowing the singles, despite knowing some of the you know main elements of it, you haven't listened to from Go To Woe in its 45-minute glory. And that, that is... That is incorrect. That's incorrect. Had you listened to the whole thing... Yeah, I was a Mika stan back in the day. Oh, well, look. I I'd... could sing you every song on this. I All won't right. because that'll sing take me up Billy half Brown. the podcast. <laughs> sing oh, me... Billy Brown lives such an ordinary life. Okay, <laughs> See? okay you actually See? really impressed I me I fucking there. know it. <laughs> I will give you a run for your money as a massive Mika stan. We are doing Mika's Life in Cartoon Motion today for Flop Stars because an album that just at the time it came out, and we'll talk a lot about the context of when it came out. 2007 was not a time for a loud, camp, you know, ridiculous pop record to be, to be brought into the world, particularly by a loud, camp man. It was fine for the women to do it at this point, but this was a completely different world for men, and particularly in British pop at the time. It was absolutely overrun with rock dogs, and Mika completely stood on the outside of all of this and stuck to his guns and made music that was authentic to him, and 15 years later, we can look back on this record and see the absolute pop joy that it brought. So I wonder, give me your vibe of, of where this kind of album sat for you in 2007 so i guess 2007 i'm not like taking in what the critics think about something i'm purely dictated by what i'm hearing on radio what i'm seeing on the charts i'm a pop fan i was fascinated by mika i always used to get very excited about the bbc sound of list coming out and mika um topped it for 2007 yeah. But, um, so obviously I was a fan of this album. I can't say that I've ever gone back to it uh, since 2007, really. Obviously, I know Grace Kelly and Happy Ending like pop up on radio quite often still. Yep. But I was fascinated going back on this album and the backlash that it got, that anger that people had and the homophobia that surrounded it. Like, yep. I had... Honestly, obviously didn't think of that at the time. I guess, what was I? I was like 17. You know, I was probably old enough to to um, be aware of that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have been 17, was I? No, you would have been in, yeah. 15. 15. 15. So I was de- definitely old enough to know better. But um, yeah, no, just going back on it is crazy to think that just 15 years ago, this kind of stuff, existed and it's real it really clouded this album and potentially ruined Mika's career I would say obviously he's still around but this is his most successful album by far which is of course why we've put it on flop stars yeah exactly because <laughs> we only do successful records I think I what were ta- you aware of at the time in terms of so what I was, was I distinctly Mika? recall being 12 
And I distinctly recall first listening to this record in full, walking around the soccer field that my brother would play soccer at. They tried to get me to play soccer for a couple of years, but I was so bad at it. I didn't score a goal in two seasons. And I suppose at that point, I always knew that I was like a little bit, you know, a little bit different. I was a little bit, you know, I wasn't one of the sporty kids, but my brother was at the time. And I would get dragged out to footy on the weekends and for a couple of hours. And I'd spend my whole time trying to coerce mum into giving me enough money for a sausage sandwich. And also with my MP3 player in my ears, this little MP3 player that I... This (laughs) is literally me. Literally me. Like play by play. And I suppose at the time, all I could hear was just the loudness, the campiness, the ridiculousness of it. And I didn't quite understand the context of what that sound actually meant in a sort of more political and social context, being 12. All that I heard was what I considered to be at the time a very sort of unfiltered, unadulterated kind of joy. And it just felt like joy, this record. And I particularly remember records like Love Today and Big Girl that just made me feel unstoppable and like nothing was off limits and that everything in the world was accessible to me. And that was such a beautiful and pure thing to be able to feel as a 12 year old who, you know, didn't understand sexuality and stuff at the time. You know, I didn't really start exploring that stuff till I was, I was in my teenage years, but at the time I knew I wasn't like a normal boy, but and this music felt like me. This music felt like yeah. what was in my heart and brain and sort of like almost gave me kaleidoscopic glasses into the world because of just the, <sighs> the, the joy of it and the, the grandeur of it and the ridiculousness of it. And, you know, I think I connected to Grace Kelly because I had my last name in it and <laughs> Love Today was just a silly, silly song and it was so easy to sing along to. And it's so funny, as the years went on, more and more of the dots joined as to why this album mattered to me so much as a kid and as a 12 year old particularly those really precious years where you still got your innocence but you are starting to think about you know adulthood and those more adult concepts are coming into your life and this record was just so important for me and going back on it makes me a, a, a fair bit emotional and yeah to to think about what he had to go through at this time as well and the way that putting everything on the table was not celebrated at that point. You know, there was an expectation even by, you know, an early record label that he he was looking at joining. You know, they wanted him to be more like Robbie Williams. They wanted him to, to be that straighter, more suave, more sort of sex appeal kind of person, whereas he just wanted to have fun and be joyous and be himself. And it makes me quite emotional. And I, I, had, I had a conversation with him. I was very, very lucky to meet him. It was my last interview in, in the flesh before the pandemic. And we had a, a really good conversation about what that time was like and the amount that he had to go through and the amount of resilience he had to put up is just astronomical. So beyond the record itself, what was happening around the record and what was happening for him at the time as a musician and, and navigating the British pop space is quite a feat. So he's very aware of that and open to talk about it. Like he's taking yeah. that in. Now... Now he is. And I think at the time, you know, he wasn't as sort of, um, you know, unapologetic about it. I think he definitely did take on a lot of that criticism. And when it came to the critics, they were being critical of this record. It felt like less for the actual content and sonics of it. And it felt like they were being, you know, 
more, it was more about the campness of it. The more like the, the louder it got, the more proud that it sounded, the more the yeah. critics seemed to dislike it. And I think if this record were to come out now, you know, there'd just be such a celebration of yeah. what he stands for and, and the space that he lives in. And I, I would dare say, I don't think there is campy male pop music like this that is sitting in the mainstream at the moment. I mean, you, you get kind of, campy music like this from a few of the sort of queer, very outwardly queer pop stars. Um, yeah. But you don't get this sort of... Sexuality was almost not even in the conversation. Obviously, it's very overt in Billy Brown, but it almost wasn't a part of the conversation. It was more a feeling. It was more a sense of sort of liberation that came from listening to this record back in 2007, more than it was a conversation about sexuality and, and identity. But I do think queer music was kind of boxed in as almost novelty music because it it came to my attention that the Scissor Sisters Tada came out the year before this album. And I think yeah. there's quite a few similarities um between the two records. I think the Scissor Sisters record is more outwardly queer and confident. Um but I guess it, yeah, it's just wild for me to think that this time existed because Lady Gaga came 2008, the year following this record. Obviously, Born This Way was one of the first, like, big queer declarations. And, like, I I know that, like, Lady Gaga... I don't know if she's queer or not, is she? I'm not sure. Mm -mm, Yeah, it's all all very blurry line. Anyway, it's like very... It was a very, like, outward message of support for the queer community. And it wasn't... Born This Way was not boxed in as being a novelty record or anything like that. And from there, obviously, we've built and built and built and built to the to the point yeah. we're at now where Sam Smith and Kim Petras have the number one song in the world when Taylor Swift isn't um, ruining their parade. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're getting to a spot. I do agree with you that there's nothing like this, but I don't think it's necessarily because this wouldn't be accepted. I think it's more just because this sound is not um, really in vogue right now. But it is it is just fascinating to go back and and think about what he faced with this album. And that the level of anger is just what gets me. Like, all he was doing was making silly little pop records and the reviews were, like, nasty when I was going back on them. It's crazy. Like, I can't even imagine doing that, them doing this to a, to a queer artist these days. Like, even Kim Petras, who has some... Like, you could fire some really obvious complaints at her for her work with Dr. Luke. But yeah. I feel like people wouldn't level that kind of that kind of anger at anybody anymore. No. And, and looking at all of these reviews and the way that they kind of, um, you know, the way they, they word. And we'll, let's, I reckon let's run through the ones that we've got down in front of us. Um, I mean, yeah. The Guardian started with a one-star review. With little behind it except a desire to be loved, the showboating becomes wearingly relentless. Let's start with that. Let's start with that word showboating. That is being used instead of the word it's loud and proud. And instead of talking about the fact that it's just a big, loud, honest album and they're not holding back on anything. Um, Listening to Life in Cartoon Motion is like being held at gunpoint by Bonnie Langford. I mean, it's just, I mean, funny line, but it's very, it's very clear that this was just, all based in subconscious homophobia. A lot of it was totally. based in subconscious homophobia. I just wanted to look up out of interest. So Kylie Minogue's X came out the same year as this album. 
The Guardian gave that record a three three star review and a pretty positive write up. Yeah. So to me, there's a lot of similarities to be drawn between the songs on this and something like Two Hearts off the that Kylie album. Hundred percent. So uh, it's just wild to me that like. <laughs> You know, he was he was <laughs> given so much flack for something that was just meant to be fun and silly. Yeah. And I mean, even looking at, you know, he, he did come on top of the BBC sound of for 2007 on top of like psych pop rave stuff from Klaxons and, you know, the cool indie kids at the time, Cold War kids and, you know, Enter Shikari doing the hardcore stuff. And you read this article, yeah. the, the article the BBC themselves wrote flamboyant pop singer-songwriter Mika has been named the best new talent of 2007. Like, it's, you know, we obviously know now that flamboyant is something to be very, you know, proud of. But at the time, it was all just so coded in in awfulness. Um, I mean, Pitchfork gave it 1.5 out of 10. Um, That's crazy. That's got to be amongst their lowest, I would say. Yeah, which, I mean, it's just not... It's just not accurate. And, and this, this has been my frustration with looking back at some of those Pitchfork reviews from this kind of era when it comes to pop music especially, you know, and, and this has been quite widely panned, the fact that Pitchfork were just fucking offensive about the way that pop music, you know, the, the reality of pop music in the late two, 2000s, early 2010s. Um, yeah. I, I, I also want to say they're just, being rude. they're just being rude for the sake of being rude. I know, There's but let's talk that. about that because Pitchfork didn't e- weren't even reviewing Taylor Swift until well into the 2010s. Yep. So to pick out this record and review it and give it 1.5, that's a very intentional move to poke yep. fun at it because Mika shouldn't have been on Pitchfork's radar, really. Yep. Exactly. And that's the thing. They have obviously, and because it stands out and because it's loud and proud, it creates that kind of virulent hatred because people see it being so loud. And, you know, Mika even refers to this album. This is a hyper-realistic album. It's 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 bigger than life, you know, which, yeah. which goes into the cartoon kind of name in the, of, the, of the record. Um, and yeah, to look at what Pitchfork said, I mean, let's, let's read this. Taking basic, uh, I don't know what a AAA chord progression is, um, he creates a world of, re- of relatable montages. The album mildly undulates in tempo and mood, but is altogether uniform in its money-hungry quest to transport music lovers to a horrific place where pop songs double as cruise ship entertainment. I mean, why money-hungry? Where do they get that from? I don't I understand. Mean, because all it's pop quite music is driven by capitalism on the record label level, anyway. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we're thinking of other 2007, you know, this was one of the more alternative kind of pop albums of 2007 and of that era as well. This is not the poster boy for like commercial pop music and and consumerism in pop music. This is absolutely not that. And they talk about cruise ship entertainment. I mean, the the word is theatrical. And and I think the, the comparison to X by Kylie is probably really important because that to me was probably one of her most theatrical albums as well, Definitely. if not the most theatrical. Yeah. And and that's what this record is as well. And what, what a lot of Mika's music has been, that hyper-realism goes into that almost theatrical, you know, stage performance kind of feel. And, you know, you start with Grace Kelly at the very top and that basically is like a, you know, it, it does feel like almost a musical soundtrack kind of song. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. And I will say too, this is a flawed record. I don't think it's perfect. And I don't think if it was released today, it would be getting rave reviews, but I think it would certainly be getting sixes or sevens at least, if not eights. Like, 
it's it's just um yeah it feels like the liv- the level of vitriol was just magnified for this yep. but i think to celebrate it did it extremely well commercially regardless of the critical backlash should we play a game <laughs> let's play a game that got we usually don't get that heavy in the top half of the podcast but that was there's just the something... context of the record that was that was obviously glaringly obvious. Yeah, there's something that makes me. I think it's. I'm. I think I'm getting ang- not angry. I don't like to get angry about albums that make that bring me joy. But there is just an. In, there was an injustice to this record at the time, and I think it, it needs yeah. to be celebrated double as hard now because of what he managed to break through. And you know, if you listen to the Maker record since. The majority of them, with the exception of the, you know, he did all, he's, he's done every genre under the sun. Um, yeah. I mean, there's like a whole classical record at one point. Um, and there's a whole there? French record. He speaks like four languages as well. Um, I might have gotten the classical thing wrong, but I think the French one was quite classical. Um, well, there was a classical leaning song at the end of this album. There we'll was. We, we can discuss that at some stage. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, you know, the the records have remained the same kind of loud th- theatrical kind of feel to them. So, you know, at least he's cons- he's been consistent and not really listened to them and just sort of continued to celebrate life. Oh yeah, it definitely it takes a bullish a bullish attitude to just keep going and not listen. And I think if anything, he went even bolder and brighter on the second yes. <laughs> album that followed this as well. But let's get into the song game. We're putting Mika yep. up against the 2007 Britpop that he was competing with on the chart. Flop stars. So I think Mika is Lebanese and spent time in London and France, I think. So he's got a lot of different sides to him, but I think he was kind of being um, marketed in that British um, pop space at the time. So the first one is Grace Kelly. Versus Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse's Valerie. I mean, just juggernauts. And you put yeah. Amy White, you put Amy in the song game, and it almost feels illegal. <laughs> it feels, it feels I like I'm going to make be you feel bad. Yeah, you make me feel uncomfortable. Trashing a um, dead woman, you absolute <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> Grace Kelly's not dead. Oh wait, she is. Um, <laughs> Grace Kelly died like 50 years ago, didn't she? Yeah, I know. No, that's actually a really good point. Um, okay, well, let's let's unpack this. This is going to be a really hard one to do. So, obviously, Grace Kelly opens this record. It's theatrical. It's the first moment of the cut through for people. I still remember seeing the video on Rage and thinking this guy's insane. Grace and Kelly died in 1982. Sorry. That's not, that's not too long ago. Um, you know... But Valerie, to me as well, Valerie is a, a modern, an instant modern classic. Um, you know, they just found the perfect kind of balance, those two, and I think their, their relationship was absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, and it, feel, it feels hard to go past Valerie as one of, you know, the 2000s great songs, if not the greatest. Um, I will get Mika his flowers shortly, but Valerie to me is a timeless classic. That's, that's my Yeah, it feels wrong to not, give Grace Kelly the trophy in this game straight up because it was such a monumental single from this album and set up Mika's career so Mm. beautifully and also such a bizarre, outrageous song that just, like, ran a mark all over it. Like, 
it worked because the reason I noticed it for the first time was because of that vocal run in the chorus and how high up he goes. And if TikTok was around back then, everybody would have been trying to do that vocal run at the time, which is just genius, I think. And I still think Grace Kelly's one of the, the great pop songs. But yeah, Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse's Valerie, even though it is a cover, nobody can remember the original now because they just absolutely shadowed over it yeah. and made something that feels like one of the most classic songs of our time and a song that comes up at every wedding that's always on the radio that, you know, the real uptown funk kind of song, which obviously Mark is also involved with. So He knows how to write a classic. He knows how I've got to go with Valerie. It's a song that I truly don't get sick of. Yeah, it's it's sorry, Grace. It's perfect. I know, but I think I think Mika would probably also be comfortable with that. So we can move on from that one now. That's that's comfortable. What's We're our second matchup? <laughs> the second one is Love Today. Versus Gossip standing in the way of control. Oh, Gossip. Two outrageously queer anthems that managed yes. to break through in a clearly very homophobic time. <laughs> and that was the thing. I mean, gossip felt like a, everyone's, you know, dirty little secret. You know, they almost had this, yeah. like, you know, dark underground club feel to them. And it felt like you'd yeah. only ever be able to see them at a secret, unannounced show. It was like, and I, you know, I know Beth and, and the crew ended up doing, you know, many a festival and, and many, a, many a tour, but, you know, the the feeling of them was almost like a dirty little secret and it was almost like yeah. the scissors sisters darker cousin in a way yeah um yeah. you know and just an insane use of that electronic kind of feel but to me love today epitomizes this album you know it's got the joy of it all it's got you know it's an absolute anthem um and i really can't go past it as one of the best songs on this record if not the best so i'm just going to go with mika for this one i also think um when i saw him perform love today live as well that comes to life like nothing else so it's going to yeah. be love today for me this is a hard one for me cuz love today in many ways i think is almost a better song than grace kelly i'm yeah, not sure i love the lyric of like everybody's going to love today that's it's a bit much for me. But again, I love the the way he uses his voice in it. But the Beth Ditto vocal in Standing in the Way of Control is, like, mm. exceptional. Like, yeah. the feeling she creates in that was the kind of vocal that you could put... You could do Standing in the Way of Control in any way. It could be a ballad. It could be a dance track, which it did end up being remixed into. A rock yep. track, a funk track. Like, it's just so unmistakable that you could do anything with it. Um, and also so chaotic and unhinged at the same time as well. Beth was just like an absolute... Um, I feel like animals are really terrible way to describe it, but I mean it in a... Yeah. In a the loveliest way possible. Um, yeah, Standing in the Way of Control just smacked me in the face when I was young and listening to it and really uh, awakened me to that side of alternative pop music. So I've got to go with that again, but it, it is a close race. Yeah, that's a hard one. And and Gossip, I mean, let's, let's chuck that on the future albums list to, to do. I mean, we yeah, need to... Yeah, absolutely. The Heavy Cross album. What was that called? Like oh. Men and men men something. Every cross wasn't called cool. music for men. That's music right. Music for men. Yeah. Yes. Let's get yeah, it. What's our next? That. 
matchup. Our next one, we're flying into ballad territory. Happy ending. Versus Leona Lewis's Bleeding Love. And you know what? It's so funny. Two surprising hits from that year. Yeah. And I, I, I remember Bleeding Love being on the radio at the, at the same time as, as Grace Kelly and Love Today. And, you know, it yeah. takes me back to that soccer field again, this song. Um, you know, and I think I think the way that... God, what a terrible memory being taken back to a soccer field. Oh, my oh, God. I'm never going to so visit one ever long. again. Not even to walk the dog. Never. Never. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really, it's actually really, really difficult to um, to do this one because happy ending is, uh, I mean, let's talk about that in a sec. Let's talk about Bleeding Love first. Ryan Tedder, excellence. Ryan Tedder's first proper cut from memory as well. Like yeah. his first kind of big single. Um, yeah. The best reality TV show winner single of all time. I think it wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be too With, far off the mark. Don't forget Jesse McCartney as a co-write. I did not know that. That's this huge. was a Jesse McCartney song first, and he passed up on it. Oh my god! But There's has he a got version credit- out there that he you can hear him singing on it. He's got has he got credits on it? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm looking now. He does. It's just, it's literally written by Jesse and Ryan. So that's yeah. why Jesse McCartney's very very happy because he's got royalties that's why he's on Love. because he's sitting on a freaking pile of money from this song. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Leona's yeah. probably down busking in Piccadilly Circus or something. <laughs> Last I saw her, she was walking around the, the Christmas. She was walking around the Christmas markets in London. Um, this is about six years ago for a pop justice interview, but still, I digress. Bleeding Love is a perfect pop song, but Happy Ending is an experience. It's more than a pop song. Yeah. It is the most incredible, sprawling, up and down, you know, just piece of theatrical pop that I think I've heard ever heard. Um, so it's going to be Maker again from me, but Bleeding Love's perfect. You know, when I revisited um, the Maker album today and when it finished, Spotify went on to Spotify Radio and just started doing its thing, which is yeah. always a mixed bag. And it did Dolly Parton, 9 to 5, Voulez-vous, ABBA, Sweet Escape, Gwen Stefani, and then yep. it did Scissor Sisters, Let's Have a Kiki. Oh, and oh. I think that's when it kind of clicked for me, the place for music that just goes a little overboard and just pushes it a little too far. And I think we're yeah. celebrating music like that so much this year. I th- and in the past few years, I think Chromatica does that. I think um, Future Nostalgia does that. I think Lizzo's album does that. And Happy Ending is the exact example of just going too far. Like, it is so over the top choirs strings like just it's it's a crazy crazy ballad and i loved it at the time i still love it today i'll still get it out at karaoke every so often (laughs) i just think that it is like there's a place for music like that and not everybody's gonna like it and maybe it's a little too musical theater you just pointed the camera towards your crotch yeah, no, because I was looking. I was just triple checking. <laughs> I just realised that. I was just triple checking whether the recording was still on. Where's the HR department? <laughs> I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I've been flashed. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I just thought I was putting my head down. We're oh, talking God. about happy ending this song. I don't want a happy ending. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
So what is it going to be? I mean, do you think this goes too far? This is well, my question. Well, I love Bleeding Love as well. I think it's a, it's a classic and, and it really set the sound for that era of pop music. But yeah. I've, I can't go past Happy Ending. Like, I really can't. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Mika on this one. Thank God, because that would have been a cancellable offence from you. Especially the amount of times that oh, we've yeah, listened to Happy Ending than- together as well. Than your actions. Yeah, I have no cancelable actions. Let me just check that recording's working again. <laughs> Stupid. Blurs <laughs> it all out anyway. He is wearing shorts, I will say. Don't worry. He'll be <laughs> Thanks back for on the next week. It's not that cancelable. <laughs> Let's do the last one. Relax. Take it easy. Versus Sugar Babes About You Now. So I really think with Relax, Take It Easy, I think this is the moment that this album needs where it kind of just dials it all back a little bit, you know? It's a very, I mean, it does what it says on the tin. It's actually quite a relaxing song. It's almost giving um, Cool from the Gwen Stefani album, you know? It just sort of pulls everything back and makes everything a little bit more chill for a second. I think that's a really masterful moment on an album that goes so hard and so far and so many you know, capacities and to have relax kind of towards the middle of the record just for a little, you know, little brief moment of reprieve. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's one of the better choruses on the, on the album as well. Um, and for the Sugar Babes, you know, it's a bloody good song, but it is, um, A, it is, um, it is a Dr. Redacted uh, production. Is and it? I didn't know that. Bloody yeah. hell. So that gets oh my minus God, points for that. I was just about to wax lyrical about the production. <laughs> I can't believe it's... It ruins everything. I, know, I shouldn't have said anything. I should have like, and then I should have brought you down by your support of. There's just a lot of cancellation on this podcast today. There's a lot going on. There is a lot of can. Yeah, he's bloody hell. Yeah, it's a frustrating anyway, he's one. He's not on the Kim Petras single coming out on Friday, so that's a win. Thank God. Um, yeah, so it's end. it's an objectively very good song, but um, you know, and I think on the on the, you know, in, as, as far as Sugar Babe songs go, it's probably not their best and I would also say the same about Relax Take It Easy but I don't know I think without this song on the album it possibly could have been too much so I'm actually going to go with Mika for this one okay cool let's pretend you didn't let me know about Dr. Luke yeah objectively (laughs) on the surface let me talk about About You Now for a second because I feel like that is one of the Sugar Babes best songs um and one of the best songs of that kind of era it's up there with um Gabriella Chilmy's um, On a Mission in terms of <laughs> overlooked pop songs from that era. <laughs> oh, my God. That is a great song. We should do that album. That's a great album in general. We, we've come up with about six albums to do today. I know, because we're so bored of this one, we want something else to do. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> He was about to jump down the camera at me. Um, <laughs> what was I talking? <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> about you now is great, and I love the really crunchy, distorted production. I think the chorus is absolute killer. Relax, take it easy. I think is the moment on the album when you see how good of a melody writer Mika is, because mm. I think that it's pretty flawless when he pulls it back. Um, and just lets it speak for itself. So, yeah. well, I was going to go about you now, but now I know about the Dr. Luke thing. 
And also, it's the shit version of the Sugar Babes too. It's not the original. So, um, I'll just go with relax. Take it easy, just to avoid. Yes. That's a very good run for Mika in this one. And look, it's not like Grace Kelly wasn't, you know, in with a chance there. It's just the iconery of Valerie that was put up against it that stopped it from getting through. Grace had a hard hard go. Yeah, poor old Grace. R.I.P. Vale. 40 years now. Um, Well, I mean, like, let's talk about it. Like, this is a good example of just how strong the songs actually were on this album. And we talked about sort of the the layering and the ridiculousness of Grace Kelly, Love Today and Happy Ending. And then there are moments like Relax that you're right, they do just kind of strip it back to just a really great singer. You know, there's not too much layering going on. There's not too much vocal gymnastics apart from the the chorus. You know, it's much more subtle in the verses and quite lovely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you think there are moments where, you know, you feel this album is getting a bit tiring to you to listen to because it just goes so big for so long. Um, no, I think there's enough moments in it that strip it back, to be honest. Like, I think you've got yeah. the little section in the middle with, like, relax, take it easy, and any other world. Um, Billy yeah. Brown is silly, but it's, like, not super over the top to me. Um no, I, it's, it's like that period of it's like that period of Bowie music, Billy Brown. I think you know that period, that Bowie period where he was just a little bit, yeah, you know, more over the top than usual. It's a little like um, I don't know Beatles-esque my Bowie history very much, but silliness. I think it's giving. Yeah, like it's the sillier Beatles, work, you know. Um, and obviously, there's a lot yeah. of Queen in there. The Queen jumps out in "Big Girl, You Are Beautiful," which to me, that totally. song is the one that I really can't stand on this album. I don't really get oh, what he's really? trying to do with it, um, and I'm a I'm full disclosure not a Queen fan at all. In fact, I really can't stand most of Queen's music, and this is the most Queen esque song on the album. Yeah. Um, the other one, like I go back and forth on, is Lollipop. Like I'm never sure if I love it or not. It gives me like <sighs> Aqua vibes, which I think I like, but then. I'm never quite sure. So, if anything, I don't think that there's not enough um, down moments on there. I think there may be just a touch too much silliness in it at points that maybe tips it overboard into a, a different category and maybe is why part of the reason it wasn't taken seriously enough. Yeah, I can get that, but I disagree with you on Big Girl in particular. I think that sentiment in 2007 in you know the Kate Moss heyday and coming yeah. from coming from a queer man it the celebration feels it feels like an appropriate celebration of size in a time that we did not celebrate size in fact it was peak you know UK tabloid savagery era yeah. at this point and Meek has just gone balls to the wall kind of celebrating the opposite of that and I distinctly remember there was no conversation around celebrating, you know, size and and celebrating being fat, you know, in, in 2007. It just wasn't wasn't heard of. And to put it so blatantly onto a record and, um, you know, we hear conversations like this all the time in pop music now. But to do it in 2007 and I think to celebrate a man celebrating women, particularly a queer man celebrating women, I think it was actually a really special moment. Um, on this record. And I know it sounds silly, you know, on the surface, but I think it had a deeper, it had a deeper meaning to it, you see. Yeah. No, I don't think it sounds silly. I'm just like, some of the lyrics just like, ick me a bit. Like, you take your girl and multiply her by four. Like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At points it feels like, kind of insulting almost. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's but like before I knew the maker was queer. To do I th- like Queen. What's the Queen one with the, a similar vibe to it? Um, oh, um, Fat Bottom Girls. Fat Bottom Girls. Yeah. 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 It's yep, it's right. going for that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's the only <laughs> one that I really can't stand on the album, and the one that I messaged you about today. <laughs> <laughs> Your funeral Sorry. song. <laughs> So there's a there's a there's a um what do you call it a secret a secret track a hidden track, um, on the end of the album, but only in the American version. And this was the funny thing: the way the the what I listened to didn't have that like double single happy ending. It's not on into, your version. Into over my shoulder, I had to go and seek it out. And then there's another version of the album that's just the eleven tracks that was released for the American market, which obviously oh you're picking God. up now. Do you remember yeah. when they used to do like track 10 or 12, whatever was the end of the album, there'd be like a minute or so silence and then you'd get the bonus track and it was like the secret hidden track. That's or what this is Or even better album. than that, when you get to, you go through the album, but then track number one, you had to go back to get to the secret track, which was track number zero at the very start of the CD. What? Yeah, That's there wild. was CD. There were albums where you'd do that and sometimes singles where, where you'd go, like you'd started at track one, the very start, and then you'd do the, the, the back, the track previous track, and it would be zero. Oh and you'd God. be super disappointed if you'd go back and it would just go back to like number 13 or it would just keep playing one over and over again. It's yeah. such a funny thing to do. I remember like Kelly Clarkson's My December, like sitting in the car after the album finished and we'd all just be sitting there in silence waiting for Yeah. I mean, I was waiting for the next track. I'm sure my family didn't give a shit whether there was another track or not on my December. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to get to the soccer field. I was like, hold on, I want to hear bloody... Yes. I can't remember what it's called. Shivers or something. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to know, like, for you, what mm. are there any other records that hold this kind of... Um, level of significance for you around this time? No. Because for me, this was such formative, like the earliest early years. I mean, the only other ones I can really think of are Fall Out Boy's Folly I Do and um, Black Eyed Peas Monkey Business that were around the same time and I had the yeah. CDs of and I got into them. And you know what? Now Not I think about it. known as big queer records. <laughs> no, but I think <laughs> <laughs> what I was attracted to and what they probably all had in common is the three of them were quite ridiculous records, you know, yeah. and they were super inventive and super creative. And even that Fall Out Boy album, you know, Fall Out Boy were beyond the radio hits, were a very inventive and ridiculous band. And I think I was living subconsciously for that ridiculousness and I was searching for something that was bigger and I was searching for something that was a bit more ridiculous because it was so escapist to me and I really liked that feeling it was yeah it was something I needed what do you think about him not disclosing anything about his sexuality which he's completely entitled to do you think it was a defense mechanism or do you think it was a display of strength and um like maintaining his privacy. Yeah, I I I very much see it as resilience. I see yeah. it as a really defiant act to not put a 
cloud of sexuality over this record and let the record stand on its own and be flamboyant and loud and proud in itself without the context of the artist and the human behind it. That said, I think it does give a different context to records like Big Girl that we just talked about. Like, you know, when I first heard that, I thought it was a straight man celebrating it. And it's still that still was fine in my mind. But, yeah. you know, I think there's something even more joyous about, you know, the, 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 the gays celebrating it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like that he sort of kept it a very ambiguous sort of situation and particularly because there was so much sort of, you know, vague homophobia coming across. Um, yeah. yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels that way that it felt appropriate to me to hold it back until he was ready to do it. And that, you know, the music was probably going to be minimized if he was, you know, if he was out in, in 2007. And it was anyway. You know yeah. what's you know what I was thinking about um, when I read the hyper real pop, um, and he says it has this hyper reality to it, hence the cartoon title, which I really yeah. love that description of it. Yeah. It's it made me make a connection between this and PC music, which is obviously um, another one with a very strong queer community surrounding it, yeah. and. Uh, there's just something in the ridiculousness of this album and in the ridiculousness of what they have been doing with PC music that I think you can really tie a thread between. And I'm surprised that Mika hasn't ended up doing something surrounding that sound already now. Yep. Like I'm surprised that somebody hasn't pulled him in to do something like that. But it's interesting how something an album that's as ridiculous as this was was so mainstream at the time. Um but now I can't imagine anything like Grace Kelly going to number 1 on the charts. Yeah. It's um I reckon he probably has been approached about doing, you know, some more sort of inventive production around the music, but I kind of like that he's stuck to his guns. And we've talked about it, you know, he goes quite sort of um you know, classical at points. And I mean, even, even a track on, on this album, like any other world's got those violins in it. it almost feels like a track by the bloody irrepressibles. It's, um, it's, it's so big and, and sort of, yeah, intense. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like that. He's just stuck to pure pop music for the majority of his career. Can we give some flowers to popular song featuring Ariana Grande, by the way? No, I still think we that's absolutely one of the best. can't. I hate no. that song. Are you kidding? I think it's amazing. The best interpolation of popular I know that you've we've ever had heard. this conversation before. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> what does it interpolate? Popular, popular from Wicked. You're going to be popular. Wicked. You know popular from Wicked. You're a cross. Why popular. would I know that? I know popular by Darren Hayes. Flop stars. Do you want to play a game? <laughs> Do you want to play a game? Sounding as creepy Let's as humanly possible. Um... So... Let's do it. Um, my game is called um, Life in 2007 Cartoons rather than life in cartoon motion. Um, I'm going to give you a bunch of titles and I want you to guess whether oh they God, are cartoons that launched this. around the world in 2007 or they are Mika song titles. Okay? So it's either a ridiculous okay. cartoon yeah. that was released or it is a song that has a cartoon-like element to it in the hyper-real space of the great Mika. Ready to roll? Okay. Okay. First one. Yeah. Kick-Ass. Is Kick-Ass a Mika song or an animated television series launched in 2007? I feel like I know Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass was also that movie. 
you know, with Chloe Grace Moretz. I know it was a movie, but I feel like I feel like I know the Mika song kick ups. I feel like it's on like his third album. From you. What are you reckoning? What are you locking in? I'm going. I'm locking that in. I'm locking that in. It was a Mika track, and it was a single from the soundtrack to the movie Kick Ass, produced by Red One. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Produced it by was Red Mika, One, and wow. he was he was artist on it as well. So it was a Mika and Red One track called Kick Ass, and it was from the soundtrack for Kick Ass. So we love to see it. Amazing. Gave the song the Digital Spy. The great people at Digital Spy gave the song four stars out of five, saying the song's verses have all the usual Mika ingredients, a handful of quirky lyrics, and a, sp- a sprinkling of his trademark whale. And it's only when the chorus kicks in that we hear the Red One effect. One of the great collaborations. Whale. It's not often that whale is used. Yeah, as, I wouldn't call it. As a compliment. I call it that. <laughs> Was Iggy Arbuckle a animated series that premiered in 2007 or a Mika song? Iggy Arbuckle. Iggy Arbuckle. It sounds like something Azealia Banks would call Iggy Azalea. Um, <laughs> Igloo Australia. I Surely this is a cartoon. Surely. Are you sure? That it's surely a cartoon? I'm sure. It is a cartoon that premiered in 2007 Yay. in Canada, focusing on a pig who also happens to be a forest ranger known in the series as a pig ranger. Oh, so it was about Dr. Luke. <laughs> Ripples was Ripples a Mika song or an animated series that premiered in 2007 oh. Ripples you know like waves you know going along the ocean yes I'm aware of what a ripple is thank you you sure oh, I don't know oh this one's hard um I feel like you're trying to throw me off because it's like kind of normal enough to be a song name but I think that it's a cartoon name Good from you. It is an Italian animated television series created and produced by Anima, Bit and Ray Fiction. I have no idea what it's about, but Ripples was a cartoon from it. Who's Anima, Bit and Ray Fiction? Um, I don't know. It was a, they're a production company, I think. I, I think. like that you felt it necessary to tell me the production company. <laughs> it's just the first thing that popped up on Wikipedia. <laughs> Calm down. I haven't prepped this very well, as may be evidenced. Lola. Was Lola a Mika song or an animated TV series? Lola. Mika song or animated television series, perhaps about a, you know, baby elephant. Are you trying to give it away? No. I just said maybe. I think it's a Mika song. It's a Mika song. It's a 2012 Mika song from the Origin of Love album. Produced in the space of four hours in a hotel room in Miami. And they liked it because it sounded like Fleetwood Mac with a bit of Billie Jean infused. That's Lola for you. Who liked it? Mika liked it. Who else didn't oh, like it? Okay. Well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pitchfork. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is, is this a animated TV series or a Mika song? Xavier Renegade Angel. <laughs> TV series or Mika song? Hurry up. That is the title of Post Malone's forthcoming album. <laughs> That's a TV show. Surely. You don't sound too sure. You don't sound too confident about that. No, I'm not confident. It's an adult computer animated television series that premiered on November 4, yes! 2007. It was an adult swim I'm thing. I'm killing it. Let's punch through the rest Great. of them. Dr. John. Was Dr. John a series from 2007 or a Mika track? Mika. It is a Mika song. It is the song from The Boy Who Knew Too Much, the follow-up to this. 
The intention of this uh, of this song was when you've had too much to drink and you're reminded of things you'd rather forget, I always wish there was a mystical a mystical figure I could talk to. I started calling Dr. John. He's got a triangular-shaped, perfect older man with the right ingredients of madness and humility. He's got a big white beard and he's covered in feathers that he steals from his pet peacock. I thought you meant to drink so you forget those kind of things. Karen. Is Karen an animated series <laughs> from 2007 or a Mika song? Karen. Please be a Mika song. Mika song. Yes. <laughs> You're very good at this. You're annoyingly good. Final <laughs> final one is Friday the Animated Series. Is that oh an animated God. series in 2007 or a Mika song? <laughs> Think carefully. That is an animated series. I feel it like it's something is. Rebecca Black should do for like anim- Adult Swim. <laughs> It's something Ice Cube did for MTV2. Ice Cube. That was Ice Cubes, yeah. God, they were really just giving everyone an animated series in 2007, weren't they? Legit. It starred Ice Cube, Chris Tucker. Even the famed Italian um, production house behind Ripples. (laughs) You get a show. You get a show. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, that's my game. Congratulations. You're very good at that. All right. Should I just hit you straight off the back with my game? Go for it. Because we've been... Banging on as per. Yeah, go for it. Flop stars. Okay, so this is called, um, as always, has a great name, Mika vs. Grace Kelly. So I'm going to give you quotes by either Mika or Grace Kelly, and you need to tell me who said them. Okay. Grace so, Kelly is in the dead. Um, she she died. Yeah. As yeah. In the, yeah. In Monaco. Yeah. She did die. yeah. Oh, that's not a bad place to die. Okay, the first one is, my life isn't tabloid friendly. My life isn't tabloid friendly. I reckon this is Mika talking about his sexuality and the, the choice not to reveal it. I think Mika said that. You're correct. Mika said that. The next one is, I'm dangerously generous. <laughs> I said that. Um, I think this is, you know what? I think this is, well, actually, what was Grace Kelly? Let's be realistic. She was an actress, wasn't she? I reckon this is... I have no idea what Grace Kelly was. I didn't know that Mika wrote the song about a celebrity. Yeah, but her looks were too sad. Um, I think this was Grace Kelly, the dead celebrity. I didn't. Yeah. What'd you say, sorry? I think it's Grace Kelly, the dead celebrity, personally. It is Mika the Alive semi-celebrity. Oh. It's difficult. <laughs> the next one is, I don't like yelling or fighting and I can't quarrel. Ooh, okay. I don't like yelling or fighting and I can't quarrel. That feels very Grace Kelly to me. The word, Just the word quarrel doesn't feel very Mika in conversation. So I'm going to say that's Grace Kelly. That is correct. That is Grace yes. Kelly. What are you going off, by the way, given that... You weren't what aware you of what Grace Kelly did. Did Vibe. you just give yourself a clap? On yes, Zoom? I gave myself a clap. I'll clap give you a Zoom. clap. <laughs> if I feel you deserve a clap, I'll give it to you. Don't give yourself one. Oh, wait. It, it reckons I can recognize. It says and hand gestures. I don't ge- like yelling or fighting and I cannot quarrel. Hang on. It's, it says recognize hand gestures. Let's look at this. Hang on. No, nah, doesn't work. You um, know this is audio. Yeah, I know. There's sometimes we use the video. Anyway, moving on. Um, what okay. was the fucking? What was it? Oh, it's a new quote. Okay, good. You were right. You were right. The freedom of the press works in such a way that there is not much freedom from it. 
all strong. Again, I think this is probably Mika. I think Mika's conversations with the press and Mika's sort of vibe around the press. I think this is definitely a Mika one. That is incorrect. That is your cousin, <gasps> Ms. Kelly. Ms. Kelly. My auntie. My great auntie. Your auntie. Your you auntie, Gail. Because she died Lime in Grace. Monday. <laughs> 40 years ago <laughs> I walk an hour every day And very quickly Where I am What? Like I walk an hour every day Yeah Where I am And very quickly Whoever said that Obviously Where I am so. and, and very quickly Okay so just talking about Sort of daily exercise routines I'm presuming this was in a column That asked about You know what, you, what do you do How do you keep your figure And of course those questions Always go to women So this would have been A question asked of Grace Kelly Before 1982 And her passing in Monaco That is correct Yes Well done That was a very vibe. good unpack It's all off vibe Okay And the final way one is The best way to make The most serious point In the world Is to be as unserious As possible Oh, that, that, and that's just poignant stuff from Mika, evidently. That's a Mika quote. Poignant stuff from Grace Kelly. Of no. course. No, it is Mika. Oh, it, it is, is Mika. Mika, yes! It is. <laughs> I just like how confident you were. <laughs> and isn't that just a beautiful summary of this record and the whole Mika experience of the last 15 years? It's very true. It's very true. And I have to say, I was doubtful about returning to this album because I haven't done it in many years, but I knew that I had to because I forced you to listen to Lana Del Rey. Correct. But I'm thankful that you did because it was very insightful for me and also enjoyable. Most important question, rating out of 10, best and worst. Well, you could at least say thank you for taking this seriously. I took yours seriously. There's no. That was my thanking. Today. That was my thanking. Was yeah, taking your silly little Yeah, but I gave you like one of the record. best albums of the decade. And I gave you one of the most poignant pop records of 2007. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you a joyous trip down memory lane. That's my thanks. I accept your thank you, and I'm happy that I came. <laughs> Are we gonna do a Nick, a Nick's pick, and Sam's pick every season now? Is, I don't yeah, know. we definitely are. Yeah, good. Okay, I'm going to make it more insufferable for you next time then. I'm going to make it something that this I know This one wasn't hate. even insufferable. I know, but I'll make it Apart actually insufferable. Apart from the big girls, it was fine. <laughs> um, okay, it's my favourite to the score out of 10. Well, happy ending. Um, relax, take it easy. And Grace Kelly are my three favourites. For the fifth week and in a row, least... give me your number one favourite, please. I need one favourite <laughs> and some definition from you. You're getting quite nasty with me today. This is meant to be an album about love <laughs> and acceptance. <laughs> and I feel unaccepted. And it's unacceptable. <laughs> it's unacceptable. <laughs> My number one is Happy Ending. My least favourite is Big Girl, You Are Beautiful. And my score out of 10 is a 7 out of 10. 7. Yeah. Okay. I think that's pretty generous. All right. If you're sure. Sure. I'll be giving the record a 9.3 out of 10. We've never done those kind of decimal points. Okay, I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Grow a pair and bump it up. (laughs) Oh, you bumped it down. 9.3, do you know how rounding up works? You would go to 9.5. I didn't realise we were doing... You said no decimals. I didn't realise we were doing halves. Well, you can do halves, yeah, because it's like half a star. Nah, I'll stick with 9, to be honest. I'll stick with 9. No, I think... (laughs) 
<laughs> um, least favorite song, and I know it's about a serious subject matter, but least favorite song is Any Other World because it um, brings me back to earth for a little while, and I don't want to feel like that. What's it about? Um, it's about a family friend who lost her eye in the war in Lebanon. And my favorite track on the album, I mean, I've just got, it's just got to be Love Today. I mean, it's just stood the test of time for me. It's been with me through the most important moments, and yeah, it's Love Today. It's love today, but with a slight. If I'm allowed, if you're allowed three, I'm allowed three as well. Grace Kelly and Happy Ending. I well. never would not let myself have three, so you can no. have as many as you want. You can have nine if you want. That's a very, very good point. Well, thank you for coming to. I our think big- you're right with love today. I think I've changed my mind on it. I okay, like cool. Hearing you talk about it. Great. Well, let's bring that all. You know what? Let's bring that all together. That's been a beautiful episode of Flop Stars. If you liked going a bit deeper on an album that. Didn't get its flowers in 2007. I'm glad we're talking about it now. Um, make sure you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you give us a review on there as well, we will shout you out on the pod. Don't worry about that. Um, hit the follow and all that jazz as well. I'm so bad at doing this thing at the end of the podcast. And um, next week we're going to do a more modern record from a woman who's been on her high horse in the past. This is a good one. This is a definite mood shift from Mika. For sure. Could not be more polar. And actually, opposite. if I hadn't chosen Lana for my pick, I think I would have chosen this. So, I get I get both. So I've finessed the system quite well. Aren't you lucky? And I'm still after. I'm still waiting for your thank you. Thank you for exploring Mika with me. And also, you're thank welcome you for telling me. Bye. Everybody